The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. I believe we'll be bringing you a very interesting show. We've had some awfully good guests in the last few weeks, and we're not going to stop there. Um, gentlemen I've had the chance to become to uh, know over the last uh, two months is uh, uh, Dr. James Robertson, who hailed from the Ohio State University, and uh, he is going to be our, our first guest. He is the track vet at New Belterra Park in Cincinnati, formerly River Downs, and uh, we're going to kind of go through a day in the life uh, of a track vet, but as you read his resume, uh, he's a pretty phenomenal individual. As a matter of fact, he was the professor of one of my favorite track vets here, Dr. John Piewitz, on the backstretch. He said he was a great teacher, and uh, but not only was he a professor, but he was also a surgeon, and he's able to put some horse injuries uh, into uh, layman's terms and to kind of tell us about what the comeback rate is about certain injuries that we hear about uh, sending our horses to the sidelines and their chances of coming back. So uh, Dr. James Robertson uh, will be our first guest, and we'll do a little day in the life of an on-track vet. And then uh, we're going to bring in uh, no stranger to you listeners at Winning Ponies. He's the news editor at Blood Horse Magazine, Tom Lamara. If you're a capper, you know that this weekend is the Stars and Stripes Festival. Saturday, not the 4th of July, the 5th of July, the half a million dollar late pick four at Belmont Park. And we're going to take a look at three of the races. Quite uh, interesting. Um, Half of the fields, almost, of the Belmont Oaks and the Belmont Derby, both million-dollar, million-dollar-plus races, are horses shipping in from Europe. It'll be very interesting uh, to see how they match up and how we get a line on these Euros. Some of them are coming out of some of Europe's most prestigious races. And then the classic Suburban Handicap, what a race this has been over the years at Belmont Park. It's a mile and a quarter, and it's brought together some really great older horses, a lot of them that have matched strides recently, uh, but a lot of them with some great reputations. It should be an excellent race. I can't wait to hear Tom Lamara's uh, views on the Suburban Handicap from Belmont. Of course, we're also going to go back and review what happened last week, and we got some uh, new things happening on the horizon that we'll certainly address here in the sport of racing. If you're listening to this show, odds are you're a player, and uh, there's a, a new uh, free contest that's come up through the uh, Daily Racing Forum, the new Summer Contest Series. Um, you can do a, just a one-day low-entry free contest, but there's thousands of dollars up for grabs. Uh, so basically, it's only a $25 buy-in. Uh, you're going to place 12 mythical $2 win place wagers. Uh, go to nhcqualify.com. Now, it starts this Saturday, uh, but then there's four other dates that you'll be able to uh, join in on should you want. So uh, check it out at nhcqualify.com. If you're listening here, you're probably a player. <laughs> 
from the whatever happened to department, how about went the day well? Do you remember that horse? Uh, at one time, he was uh, considered a, a horse that could be a potential derby favorite. Uh, he was a New York bred, started his career in Great Britain before being bracket the United States. Team Valor bought him. As you know, Barry Irwin's famous for finding good horses in Europe and bringing them back. He won a maiden at Gulfstream Park. Then he won the grade three spiral stakes. And he was finished fourth, beating only two and a half lengths by I'll Have Another in the Kentucky Derby. After a 10th place finish in the Preakness, he went to the sidelines. He only had one other start in a New York bred optional claimer back in 2013. As it turns out, they say that he had a paralyzed vocal cord, and uh, he made such a racket that he scared the jockeys. So uh, horses with paralyzed vocal cords have difficulty breathing, and sometimes they roar or rasp when exercising. If you've been to the morning workouts, uh, you'll have heard that, I'm sure. And so we'll ask Dr. James Robertson about that with went the day well. And quite frankly, yesterday the day did not go well for him. Uh, he only beat one horse in the eighth race at Delaware. Uh, of course, Barry Irwin, before the race, said, as for today, I'll be surprised if he wins because I think he'll be rusty. He said, but we'll keep going with him, and I think he'll come back to his old self. I hope he does. Another horse that we hope comes back to his old self is two-time horse of the year, Wise Dan. He continues his comeback at Keeneland. Of course, he uh, trains on the lower poly track track at Keeneland there. Uh, he's now seven years old. Uh, he's been galloping very strong every morning. And uh, Chuck Lepresti says his first breeze back could be coming soon. He says he's trying to go as easy as he can with the horse of the year. But before that, he's going to have to do a little something with him. He's going to have to pick it up a little bit more. Of course, uh, he's the two-time Breeders' Cup mile winner and a six-time Eclipse Award winner overall. And they're going to be pointing him to some of the big races at Saratoga. Uh, He thinks he's got a good chance at maybe making the four-star Dave. Uh, He's just going to have to get him fit. But it's so good that he came back uh, from that fight with Colic. And, again, we'll... uh, Ask Dr. James Robertson what's involved with that. Now, meanwhile, his brother, uh, who's a year older, successful Dan, uh, has been retired, and he's turned out right now, and uh, he may be retraining for a second career. So good luck to the, the Dan family. Well, uh, Los Alamitos is going to open its short meet, and they're opening it with high expectations. Of course, uh, one of the, the races that they're going to have is bringing out last year's champion, Shared Belief, in the Los Alamitos Derby. We'll be talking about that race with Tom Lamara. Uh, but uh, they say that there's been quite a few improvements made. Uh, Steve Anderson wrote a, a great story uh, in the forum. Of course, it's known primarily as, as a quarter horse track. But they say a lot of work's been done over last year. Uh, the it has been stretched out to a mile track. They say the turns are going to be kind of tight. Uh, it doesn't have a turf course, uh, but the half-a-million-dollar Los Alamitos Derby will mark the 2004 debut of Shared Belief. It's only 35 minutes from Santa Anita, so what they've done is they've put in uh, new barns. It's going to be a training center, of course, with the, the close of Hollywood Park. Horses are looking for a place to train out there on the West Coast. So uh, we wish uh, everybody at Los Alamitos, uh, a good shot at getting more thoroughbred action there, and uh, it'll be very interesting to watch the mile and an eighth 
Los Alamitos Derby coming up on Saturday. All right, well, it was only a week ago we were talking to the connections at Harris Farm about California Chrome, and uh, he's turned out right now at at Harris Farm in uh, Coalinga, California. Uh, We heard the story. He was folded and raised there, and uh, all I can say is it sounds like he's doing great. Right now he's being turned out in in the paddock, and he's grazing. They're saying that uh, he probably uh, won't come back until the fall, but... uh, Art Sherman's looking forward to him coming back very, very much. They just kind of let him be a horse, as he says. Well, how about a girl taking on the guys again, Rhea Antonio? It looks like she's going to be committed to going to the $300,000 Ohio Derby. That's scheduled to be run July 19th. And uh, so Rhea Antonio... Kind of, kind of going home, as you call. Uh, Ron Paolucci has been on this show before, and uh, Rio Antonio ran a huge race over a sloppy Prairie Meadows track uh, last week. And uh, so she's going to be pointing there. The whole, the whole thing with Paolucci says that he's always wanted to enter a horse at the Ohio Derby at his home track, and he thinks that she has the speed to tackle the Colts once again. And uh, Ron, as you may recall from his interview with us, is a very uh, colorful character. Uh, she's yet to win this season, but she's had a couple of seconds and some top stakes. I mean, uh, she only finished a link behind Fashion Plate in the $400,000 Santa Anita Oaks, and I'll let the cat out of the bag. She was only beaten a link by size in the Iowa Oaks at a muddy, muddy Prairie Meadows over the weekend. Well, uh, gentlemen, we've had on the show... It uh, looks like he's going to be going to anger management. Uh, Ed Musselman, you know him as Indian Charlie, the publisher of that in, irreverent and satirical uh, newsletter that goes out on the backstretch. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to get cut a break again. It seems like the tracks are all cutting him off. I always found uh, his publication rather humorous. As you recall, we reported last week he got into a fight with uh, Dale Romans, and it looks like that uh, Dale's uh, life partner, Tammy Fox, may have jumped into the fight, and she's going to get <laughs> a 15-day suspension, and she's going to have to go to anger management. So uh, I hope that between uh, Indian Charlie and the Romans, they can kind of smooth things out and uh, uh, get their anger under control. Uh, hopefully nobody was, uh, was seriously uh, hurt in, in the race. Again, let's go back now and take a look at some of the big races from last week. Of course, the biggest one, what they now call, as Hollywood Park is closed, the Gold Cup at Santa Anita, and it was upset time at 14-1. to 1. The upsetter was Majestic Harbor, a horse that's really kind of been knocking at the door, a six-year-old horse that's been around. He's knocked heads with a lot of the big ones, but never quite got the job done. Well, he did for a half a million dollars, and in his wake... He left my pick, Clubhouse Ride, and also Imperative. Uh, the horses were not mentioning to the horses that they thought were going to be the favorites. Game on Dude and Fury Capuri. Uh, Fury Capuri had early speed. Game on Dude kind of chased him, and he was an odds-on choice, ended up finishing fourth in that race. Then at Churchill Downs, another great race with older horses, the Firecracker, grade three, 
and the winner was, in wire-to-wire fashion, the horse we both said is the one to beat, Silver Max. Pretty much Robbie Alvarado had his own way with this horse the whole way around the track. Um, coming up in the second spot was uh, Nikki Sandcastle, who lasted just by a nose over Guy's reward, but Silver Max uh, absolutely uh, dominant there. I'm sure he's pointing to one of the grass races uh, on the Breeders' Cup card down the road. Uh, at Belmont Park, Mother Goose, we said there was only horse, one horse in here, and there only was. Untappable. She's just right now unbeatable. Uh, she was forced inward at the start. She had to check, drop back to third early, but it didn't matter once she got going. Johnny V put her around horses on the turn, pulled away by nine and a quarter lengths over Princess Violet, who had to lead most of the way. Long shot America ran third. And again, uh, I felt sorry for the people out of Prairie Meadows. They tried to put on a great show with some great stakes races. You always root for the smaller tracks. They ended up some, getting some absolutely terrible weather. Uh, the winner of the Iowa Oaks was Size Claiborne Farm. Bill Mott, how often does he race at Prairie Meadows? Size uh, rallied in the final 16th after rating in second uh, most of the way and got the job done over who? Over Rhea Antonio in the Iowa Oaks. And then in at Prairie Meadows in the Iowa Derby, it was Jessica's star, local boy makes good, David Mello gets the job done on Jessica's star to take home the quarter-million-dollar Iowa Derby over embellishing Bob and Vickers in trouble, who was the favorite in that race. And the last race at Muddy Sloppy Prairie Meadows on Saturday evening was the Cornhusker Handicap, a race with a lot of history. Another horse with Claiborne connection, only it's not owned by Claiborne. It was bred by them. Son of First Samurai Carve got first by a neck over right to vote, and who was trying to steal the race. Didn't get it done. Again, a very sloppy, sloppy, dark night at Prairie Meadows. But I hope everybody that was there had a good time. All right, let's take a little bit of a break here. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Dr. James Robertson. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and I am blessed right now to have Dr. James Robertson with me. Uh, I got to know him over the last couple of months uh, at Belterra Park. Uh, he's just a pleasure to talk to. He's a breath of fresh air. Uh, he's just all over the place. You can't go anywhere where the action is on the track uh, in the morning or in the afternoon and not run into uh, to Dr. Robertson. As I stated at the top of the show, he is quite the resume. Uh, from He has had experience at two of the most uh, renowned equine centers uh, in North America, the new Bolton Center at the University of Pennsylvania and the Ohio State University, where uh, he has spent the bulk of his professional time, not only as a professor, but also as as a surgeon. And uh, with no further ado, and the fact that I've only got 15 minutes to talk with him, I'm not going to go through his resume anymore. Dr. Robertson, how are you doing? Good, good, John. Well, listen, really, it, it, it has been a, a real pleasure to, to get to know you around the track, and um, I, I can see that uh, you really have a, a concern, but you've got kind of a positive, upbeat, uh, shall I say, bedside manner about you and the way that you view the sport. So my question is, is what first turned you on to uh, wanting to be a veterinarian? And tell me a little bit about uh, uh, growing up, I believe, was it in the Carolinas? No, I grew up in uh, near Vancouver. I live in the Carolinas now uh, when, I'm, when I'm not working uh, in Ohio, but that's my permanent home. But I grew up in, uh, in Canada uh, near Vancouver, British Columbia, in the Fraser Valley. And uh, my first introduction to veterinary medicine really was on the farm. We grew up on a dairy farm, and I was always fascinated with the... Uh, what the veterinarian did on our farm, and particularly when he'd treat cows for milk fever, uh, they'd be down, couldn't get up. He'd come in, put a needle in their neck, and give them a jug, and they'd jump up. So my, I guess my first exposure to veterinary medicine was on the farm. Uh, and then it, I, I determined at a very early age I was going to be a veterinarian, and I was always encouraged to follow that pursuit by my uh, father in particular. Well, obviously, uh, you were uh, a pretty good student to land in the programs uh, that, that you landed in, um, because uh, while I think so many people perhaps nationally 
you know, hear about the new Bolton Center, certainly I have for years uh, seen so many outstanding horses uh, who have no problem when they have a problem going to the Ohio State University. In your time there, uh, how did you split your time? Did you enjoy teaching or did you enjoy being a surgeon? Uh, what uh, what was gave you well, more pleasure? I, I guess the the my pursuit has always been <clears throat> surgery. Um, and when I went to New Bolton, it was a large animal surgical training program. It, we did all sorts of large animals and horses. And I quickly came to realize that I had an aptitude for surgery. And the repertoire for surgery in, in large animals, other than the horse, is pretty limited. And I found the horse uh, to be a real challenge surgically. And I was there at a time where there's some pioneers in equine surgery, Charlie Raker, Warren Evans, uh, Dr. Jock Jenny had preceded me there, and he, he had passed away at that point. But it was probably uh, one of the best times to have been there because it was a time when uh, equine medicine and surgery was really developing by leaps and bounds sort of coming into the modern era. So I, I really got into the um, to surgery and horses there at New Bolton Center, not, not particularly racehorses at that point, but uh, the challenges of equine surgery. And when I went to Ohio State, uh, I, I went to work there in 78. I joined the equine faculty under the leadership of Dr. Al Gobble, Many, maybe your, some of your listeners know him, but yes, from he, Centerville, Ohio. Yeah, he he was a Doctor Gabe, Commissioner Gabe. We had a great horse that used to yeah. race in Cincinnati called Commissioner Gabe. Yeah, well, uh, Doctor Gobble and his brother is all. He's also a veterinarian, Jim Jim Gable. He calls yeah. himself Jim Gable, but um, Doctor Gobble was a tremendous teacher, mentor. And at that time, um, basically, he and Dr. Bromwich did the orthopedics, and I uh, decided to concentrate on the soft tissue surgery. And as a result, my career went uh, primarily in doing soft tissue surgery. And I guess as far as academia goes, there's good, there's, there, it's like any job. There's good parts, and there's less than desirable parts. But the best part for me was the the uh, caseload that we had at Ohio State and the challenges that those cases presented me. We had uh, the ability to treat those horses in any way we wanted. And uh, the teaching was, was enjoyable. Uh, there's some other aspects of academia that, I, that uh, uh, are, are less enjoyable. But uh, I, I guess I enjoyed mainly the interaction with, uh, with the students and, and the, the actual uh, surgery. And well, every time we did surgery, there were students and residents involved. Well, I know Dr. John Piewitz, who's a friend of mine. As a matter of fact, we've actually bred horses together. We go back a long way, and he told me that, uh, that, that you were just outstanding. Now, before I get ahead of myself and uh, maybe ask a question or two about particularly elements of horses, since I've only mm-hmm. got about seven minutes left here, um, what's the day in the life of, if you can crunch it down for me, 
of a track vet. You're, you're, one of, you're kind of like an assistant starter. You're one of those guys that people don't even know are out there. Well, what is a day in the life for Dr. James Robertson on the track? Well, and you'd, you'd asked me about that before, and sort of to summarize, I guess I'm the track veterinarian here. Uh, I'm employed by the track. There's also a state veterinarian, Dr. Swagler, who uh, basically oversees the test barn here. But Dr. my Jack, great guy. Start at 9 a.m. That's when I get to work, and I work only on race days, and I work from 9 a.m. till the end of the day, till the races are completed. So when I get in here, there's horses that uh, we examine. Uh, every horse that's on the grounds that gets scratched from a race, generally that morning, I'll, I'll go and examine it. Uh, I enter those horses on a veterinarian's list, which is, is uh, we maintain it and post it daily here. And that list uh, has all of the horses that are scratched for whatever reason, uh, whether it's uh, in the morning before, a day before the race, morning of the race, or whether it's uh, uh, a, a scratch in the post parade, or um, whether also whether it's an injury on the track, these horses are entered on the vets list, and that's entered in the computer in the race office. In, in it's called a, a program called Encompass. So every horse that's on a list here at Belterra is on is on a list basically for Ohio and also nationally. So if someone has a horse on a list, it states on that list what is required to get the horse off the list. If it's, if it's just simply time passing, it'll, it'll come off uh, automatically at a certain date. But it may, there may be other requirements. And by being entered in there, it, it means that that horse has to come off your list before it can be entered anywhere else to race. So we maintain these horses on a list, and uh, there's, there's horses that want to work coming off a veterinarian's list, and these are horses generally that have been put on the list for lameness. And if we require work, it's usually half-mile work at race speed, 52 or better for a half-mile, and the horses are examined after the work to be sure that they're they're sound. Uh, if a horse uh, meets the the requirements of the work and uh, is 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 good at the time of the examination, we remove it from a, the Ohio Vets list and they can enter. We occasionally get requests from uh, trainers who've got a horse that's on a list in a, a Vets list in another jurisdiction, and that requires communication with the veterinarians. In, in, in those jurisdictions. Generally, that's a state veterinarian that's put it on. Um, so we find out what they need, what we need to do to how they want the horse examined, that sort of thing, and then we relay that information to them and they take the horse off. The thing is, if a horse is put on a list by a veterinarian in a, in a jurisdiction, it has to be taken off in that jurisdiction. So that that's done in the mornings uh, before you know when horses are training out there before the track closes. Right now in the afternoon, you are observing both pre-race and post-race, correct? Well, in this, I'm the veterinarian, uh, the one veterinarian here that does the uh, exam, does the observations and any examinations. Now, when post time, let's say it's one thirty, 
at one o'clock, I go out onto the track and uh, I wait for the first race to come. And I observe every horse coming to the paddock, going in the paddock, being saddled, coming out of the paddock, getting on the track and jogging away with the pony. If there's a, if they don't all have ponies, but and then if there's anything that I'm concerned about, either by having um, examined the racing history of these horses in the program, because that yields a lot of information in my mind about about the the need perhaps for extra scrutiny if i see something out there i'll i've got a radio i'm hooked in with the outriders the stewards and everybody else and i'll ask for a horse to be brought back to me so i can observe it and you know it's easier to observe him if the horse can get away from the pony and just jog trot right that's when you're most likely to see a lameness and then i have to make a decision if i think the horse is uh, sound or not and if it isn't i'll scratch it for lameness uh then uh you know assuming i don't call any horses back or i'm not called upon to examine a horse by a jock then we watch them load if there's any incidences in the gate and and the horses need to be examined i i will look at them right there um you know sometimes horses can traumatize themselves pretty pretty good in that gate um, and need to be scratched. Then people see the little gray pickup truck following the ambulance. That's me in the truck following the race. <laughs> right. Uh, and and it, because I've had so many people say, what's that truck for? <laughs> but so uh, then when they, when they, uh, they gallop out, when they come back, I, I observe them for signs of lameness and any bleeding from the nose. Um, and uh, if there's issues, I have the grooms jog them, and if they're lame, I put them on the list at that point, and uh, heaven forbid if there's a horse that pulls up or should go down during the race, uh, you know, both the human ambulance and me are right there, and uh, that's where you've probably seen this happen, where things start to happen quick and the outriders convene the ambul- the horse ambulance is called immediately and we have to triage that horse and figure out what do we do now you know try to quickly determine the nature of the injury how severe it is and what's required to either get the horse safely into the ambulance and off the track or whether or not we have to euthanize the horse at that point. And that's, you know, one thing I'll say about what, what we've got here at Belterra, we've got a hell of a team that works together out there when, when this sort of thing happens. I've watched you in action and with the outriders and anybody else that seems to be available, including even the jockeys that, that mm-hmm. know what to do. And it is uh, just amazing. I happen to be at the maybe the wrong place at the right time or whatever. And I got to observe mm-hmm. this up close. And all I can say, Dr. Robertson, is you, you are absolutely correct about that. And uh, it, it, it is a team effort. So much of it is put on you uh, to make that final decision and, and other veterinarians that, that have the same job as yours. But ultimately, uh, I want to thank you for being on the show because I wanted people to understand how much cause and concern there really is put in pre-race, post-race and what goes in to make sure that we're putting you know sound healthy horses on the track and that we make every effort to make sure that in the future they're taken care of they're watched after uh, and uh, just like you 
describe the vet's list to us that uh, that these are things that go into the decisions to to scratch a horse because a lot of people go oh no they're scratching it well there's a reason they're scratching it and you better be glad they could well listen Dr. Robertson my producer's kind of giving me the evil eye over here so okay. um, I, I'm going to have you back and because uh, you are a great person of interest and I want you when next time I have you back we're going to maybe break down some um, common causes of uh, setbacks for thoroughbreds, and you can mm-hmm. kind of tell us in layman terms what they are, because when I read them in the racing form, uh, I don't understand them. But thank you so much for your time tonight. Sure. Thanks, John. All right. That was Dr. James Robertson. We're going to take a little bit of a break right here, and we're going to be back with the Blood Horses, Tom Lamara. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and if you listen to Winning Ponies on a regular basis, you know that one of my favorite guests and good friends is a gentleman by the name of Tom Lamara. And uh, Tom is the news editor of Blood Horse Magazine and, of course, uh, Blood Horse Online. Uh, he works, uh, does a yeoman's effort at all the different jobs and, and, and things that, it, that he covers. And so he's, he's a great source to go to. He's also a good guy that likes to handicap it at every level. Uh, I see him at minor tracks across the country. Of course, today I'm going to call him out on some of the bigger tracks across the country. So let me introduce to you right now, Tom Lamara, how you doing? John, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's uh, the weather finally broke in the Midwest. Uh, it's been absolutely gorgeous. It looks like we're going to have a great Fourth of July. Um, 
And so I'm enjoying that from a personal uh, viewpoint. Uh, also, out at the Stars and Stripes Festival in New York, from what I hear is they're going to get a little rain tomorrow, and then it's supposed to clear up for the weekend. But before we get on to handicapping, Tom, just want to kick back. I haven't had a chance to talk to you since the Kentucky Derby. Um, give, me your, uh, give me your overview of the Triple Crown. <laughs> I never prepare you well, with a question, so you don't know what I'm going to hit you with. Get used to it. Well, unfortunately, uh, California Chrome did not win the Belmont Stakes, but that's okay. I heard that. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think it was a really good series this year. Um, I think, you know, I think a horse that was primed for the Belmont won it fair and square. And I look forward to watching him race Saratoga in a couple months or a month and a half, whatever it is. California Chrome, I think, is a really, really good horse. And um, I think a lot of things may change by the time the Bridgers Cup rolls around. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think there's horses out there. Obviously, uh, Tonalist would have to be considered one, but I'm sure there's a couple others, and we may see a couple of them jump up in the Los Alamitos Derby this week um, that are going to develop. They're going to come in their own. Because as you know, on the Derby Trail, and certainly this year and last year, we saw so many horses head to the sidelines mm-hmm. before they uh, got to that first Saturday in May. And I've just got a feeling we're going to see some of those horses come back perhaps bigger and better than ever, and I pray California Chrome's one of them. Yeah, uh, this year was kind of odd in that, you know, a lot of horses dropped by the wayside before the Derby. You know, horses who were pretty highly regarded, who were expected to come back, and, um, you know, I'll be curious to see what happens in the next couple months. You would think that, you know, that at least a few of these horses would race at Saratoga, uh, maybe the Pennsylvania Derby, um, you know, the Goodwood, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I really don't think that we have a clear picture at this point heading into the, uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic exactly how many of these horses will be fresh. So I think we've just got to watch and see what happens. All right, let's switch to the ladies for a minute. Untappable just seems unbeatable right now. Uh, in the three-year-old ranks, she does. <laughs> I'll be curious to see what happens when she races against the older fillies and mares. Um, you know, uh, Princess of Silmar, Close Hatches, Beholder. Um, you know, yes, right now she looks good, but like I said, uh, there's some really good four-year-old fillies out there, and I think... Uh, when all said and done, they will show their best stuff uh, at the British Cup. Now, I've heard it, and you've heard it, I'm sure, rumors about her maybe tackling the boys in the Haskell. I don't see any reason to go there. What's your read on it? You know what? I don't either. There seems to be this, uh, you know, this obsession with the fact that, you know, these um, the females that are really good, you know, and yes, Untappable has dominated her competition in her last three or four races, that they need to race against males. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, quite frankly, if I was an owner, I would want to run her for the money that I think that I could absolutely win, you know. Right. So I don't quite understand it, 
Uh, I don't think that she has anything to prove. She's, you know, raced against her own division. She's superior. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, now, when you look at the Haskell and the way the track at Monza plays most of the time and everything, yeah, I could kind of understand it. But uh, I don't think that she has anything to prove, really. But if she does race in the Breeders' Cup, she's going to have to race against the horses that I had already mentioned. Yeah, and you have. And like you said, it's great to see these horses stick around for a while. And we're going to talk about a couple of these races uh, where we're going to get to see horses that weren't ushered off to stud duty right away that are that are hard-knocking older horses. And it's nice to see, especially with the Phillies, because obviously once they prove themselves at grade one level, how much difference is it really going to make in a sales ring? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, of course, Untappable, being a Winchell homebred, she's not going anywhere. So right. they're, not, they're not worried about sending her through a sales ring. So I, I guess right now it's, it's really just, uh, you know, uh, her, her legacy that will be left behind her, and uh, we'll find out. She's only three now. Hopefully, uh, she'll stick around. Races a four-year-old. Uh, I don't think uh, Ron Winchell really needs the money for to get that uh, extra-large latte at Starbucks. So, uh, hopefully, she'll right. be around as a four-year-old. <laughs> yes, I do agree with that. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. I know you're a Jersey boy, but I'm taking you to New York right now. Uh, as I stated, uh, the weather map says they're might be a little rain in the area on Friday. Uh, we've got some million-dollar turf races at Belmont. It's part of the $500,000 late pick four at Belmont. Uh, kicking it off with the Belmont Derby Invitational, a grade one, $1,250,000 that drew together a very interesting international field and also some interesting horses that prep very well for this race in the Penn Mile and the Pennington Ridge. Obviously, uh, it, some people have been keeping up with the reading. Uh, Toast of New York, a lot of people thought that that horse, after winning the UAE Derby, was going to come and race in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, that didn't happen. And then I believe that it was supposed to race in, in a really big race uh over in Europe, but that track came up soft, so I hope it doesn't come up too soft at Belmont that they're going to scratch this horse. I want to see what he's really made of. Interesting history. He's only by a $5,000 stallion, the way you are, and he's sold in the Keeneland January sale for what, in these, this day and age, is a small price, 35000 but he's already a millionaire. A lot of eyes are going to be on Toast in New York, but there's no way that he's a standout against this talented field. Give me your read. Well, I don't think that he or anybody else is a standout. And for that reason, um, my pick in this race is Global View, uh, 12 to 1 on the morning line from post 10. Uh, he's never been beyond a mile in the 16th. Uh, he won the American turf at Churchill Downs on Kentucky Derby Day. And then finished second behind Bobby's Kitten, who is in this race as well, in the 10 mile. Um, it was kind of an odd race. Uh, you know, they kind of went slow early, and then uh, the leader picked it up and, you know, won by almost three lengths. I think Global View is probably, well, excuse me, I'm hoping <laughs> Global View is better racing a little bit longer 
And, uh, you know, he is by Galileo out of a Stormcat mare. I'm not sure what that means, but... It means a heck you know, of a 12... lot. We're sold for a half a million. And you... <laughs> How many Galileo Kentucky breads are there? He did. Um, you know, I was a little disappointed with his race in the Penn Mile. Um, I thought that that he was the best horse in the race. Obviously, he wasn't. But, uh, I don't know. I think... Uh, you know, I think with Tom Proctor, I think he's ready to get back on track. And, uh, you know, this is a wide-open race. I understand, uh, you know, the fascination with Toast of New York. Um, although, you know what, in his only turf race, he finished fifth. He's, his uh, three wins by 12, 16 lengths and two and a half have come on the uh, synthetic surface. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see what he does. Absolutely. Uh, the one, Absolutely. I'm not going to take it. <laughs> uh, the other horse that intrigues me is Dance with Fate, who finished a pretty good sixth in the Kentucky Derby. And as we know, California Chrome went on to win the Preakness and then finished, uh, what, third in the, in the Belmont? Is that right? No, fourth in the Belmont. Right. Uh, he's one for one on the grass, uh, but he has run a mile and a quarter, and he hasn't done that badly on it. And uh, he's been working really well in California, and he's 10 to 1 on the morning line, so I'm going to use him too. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely some great price horses in here, uh, two that, that, that I like. Um, I'm breaking from the far outside is Gala Award. <clears throat> this has got to be one good looking colt. He sold for $1.5 million at Keeneland. And uh, if you look at his lifetime starts, the only race that he didn't run a good race at was the Bluegrass, and that was on Polytrack. His, his turf right. record is fantastic. Four starts, three wins in a second, and uh, he's certainly in good hands with Todd Pletcher and, and Johnny V. He's listed at 10 to 1 in the morning line, and along those very same lines is Bobby's Kitten. They almost look identical. You look at his turf record, it's impeccable, and then you go to the Bluegrass Stakes, and he runs up the track, then shows good recent effort after a layoff, and he ends up winning the half-a-million-dollar Penn Mile. He's listed at 6-1. to one. There's some money to be made in this race. I'm not sure that you and I have found it yet, but very, very interesting field. Well, what's interesting about it, too, is the morning line, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the European shippers are the uh, three lowest prices. So if you really like an American horse in this race, um, which which I do, um, you know, I'm more than prepared to wager on these horses because, I don't know, I think, um, you know, the mile and a quarter may suit some of these horses. And uh, quite frankly, I don't know a whole lot of the Europe, excuse me, know a whole lot about the Europeans. You know, Coast of New York is first time Lasix, which may or may not be a good thing, depending on the horse. Um, uh, number four, Adelaide, uh, ran second behind Eagle Top at Ascot. Clearly, he's a very good horse. Um, you know, he's one of a mile and a quarter. And Galo Chop, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, you know, is a multiple grade three winner in France. So this should be a really, really good race, good betting race, and I'll be curious to see how it turns out. Absolutely. Just bet your zip code. 
Uh, let's move on to, to right. a, a classic race, mile and a quarter, uh, the Suburban Handicap. I've only got about eight minutes here to cram some races in. Um, very uh, interesting matchup. Could be another price horse in here. It even looks like the odds maker had a hard time making the line. Yeah, uh, in this race, I really like uh, Last Gunfighter. Yeah, uh, Chad yes, Brown. Me too. Chad yeah. Brown, after uh, the horse won the uh, Mountain View at Penn National, I was there that night to cover the races. And uh, you know what? It really was a good effort. Yes, they went 150-2 for a mile and eighth, which isn't bad, but it's not great. And uh, the horse really had to fight uh, to beat the front runner, Valid. And, um, you know, I just think, you know, it was his first race this year. You know, and he specifically said that he wanted to let the horse have some time off and run the Suburban. And, um, you know, he's done well at Belmont. He's got to win his second and three starts. And, um, you know, he, he's just a really, really nice horse. Uh, he's owned by John Gunther. And uh, I don't know. I just think that this race really is, uh, you know, is his race to take. Well, I concur. That's what I'm going with. Last Eight starts, 100 buyers plus. Trying to move this along before we have to cut off uh, at the top of the hour. Uh, the Belmont Oaks Invitational looks a lot like the Derby. A lot of Euros coming in here, and it looks like someone has some pretty darn good uh, credentials running in uh, the, the top races uh, in, in, in France and the good races in Ireland. Uh, again, they had to ship. Some will be getting laces for the first time. Who you like in here? I'll shut up. Uh, this race was really tough for me, and quite frankly, I don't really have a strong opinion. Uh, I find it interesting that uh, Rosalind, after, um, well, not quite racing at Ascot on June 20th because she unseated her rider, uh, is right back in for Ken McPeak. Um, you know, um, I think he thinks that she wants the turf. And he thinks that this is a good spot. She's coming back a little fast, but again, she didn't race in that race. So yeah, uh, I'm going to go with her at twelve to one. To be honest with you. Well, you know, you know, Kenny McPeak is uh, just legendary for not shying away from a challenge. And as you can see, he shipped this horse out of the Kentucky Oaks all the way over uh, to Great Britain. Uh, sad to say right. uh, they that. Uh, Karen Fallon fell off the uh, saddle on the way out of the gate, uh, but again, he's he's back in here. I I think the mystery horse is this excellence of the French bred because uh, coming out of the Poule de Salle Poulains and the Prix Diane Longine, um, those are two of the most respected races that that they have in France. Uh, bringing the the French jockey over, Mister Mosi, um, you know, again a million dollars. It'll get you on the airplane. It's going to be very interesting uh, to see what comes out of this race. I believe the slight morning line favorite is Room Service, uh, a horse uh, from a guy I love, Wayne Catalano. Um, seven starts, four wins, a second, two-thirds, coming out of a win in a race you mentioned earlier, I believe, the American Oaks. Yeah, uh, Room Service has really, really picked it up, and I'll be curious to see how she does. Quite frankly, this race was a crapshoot for me. Um, you know, like I said, I'm leaning toward Roslyn. But, um, you know, 
I can't have an opinion on every race, and this is one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like a lot of horses that perhaps will like to like to come from off the pace. And again, we don't know exactly what the surface is going to be like with the Friday rain, so we'll leave it at that. But just let our listeners know uh, there's money to be made out there at Belmont, and you better spread it out in the Stars and Stripes Festival. And Tom, before we go, we only got a couple minutes, but uh, I would be remiss. We didn't talk about the opening of uh, Los Alamitos race course and the fact that the half a million dollar Los Alamitos Derby uh, has drawn together, I believe, two of the top three-year-olds out there right now in shared belief in Candy Boy. Yes. Uh, this race here, I'm going to draw a line for the Derby for Candy Boy. Um, you know, he's got some early speed. I think he'll be well-placed at the right time. And uh, I think it's his race to lose, to be honest with you. Uh, Shared Belief came back really well at six furlongs on the Pete at Golden Gate. I'd like to see his first race on the dirt. I mean, I'm sure that he can run on it. I don't doubt that. But I think uh, Shared Belief, you know, he's the champion two-year-old. He's undefeated. I think he'll get maybe a little bit more money than maybe he should. And uh, I'm going to go with Kenny Boyd. Well, I will say uh, on shared belief side, you know, it was a, a pretty challenging race that uh, Jerry Hollendorfer brought him back in. I know it was a $37,000 allowance race, but I believe he faced uh, three older stakes horses in there, and he just ran away like a good thing. I find it pretty interesting that uh, Mike Smith has been deputized as the jockey and seems like he's happy to be aboard uh, share belief for the Los Alamitos Derby. Yeah, you know, um, we we um, we did our handicapping show today, and uh, I came up with Candy Boy, uh, Can the Man, and Shared Beliefs. Uh, I think Can the Man for Baffert uh, from the three hole. Uh, you know, he's a he's a speed horse uh, stretching out. He's an into mischief out of a uh, who is by Harlot Holiday. Uh, I think he could be very interesting in here, and, and I think of the three, he'd probably be the longer price. So I'm going to use those three, uh, Candy Boy, Can the Man, and Shared Belief. Okay, I've been betting Mac the Man. That's not the same horse. He's a Prescott today, I think. But, uh, yeah, you know, again, anytime you look down and all of a sudden you see Bob Baffert's name in a race, it's something you, you don't want to uh, to yeah. overlook. Um it's interesting, too, a uh, horse that's just so hot right now is the Sire Candy Ride. And, of course, he's the sire of both uh, uh, Shared Belief and Candy Boy. But either way, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Gary Stevens, obviously, is going to be out of town riding some other races. Uh, he picked up the mount on Candy Boy. And uh, Mike Smith, Hall of Famer, picks up the mount on Shared Belief. And Martin Garcia is the only jockey that's ever ridden Can the Man. I know those guys aren't... Uh, you know, Los Alamitos regulars, but uh, <clears throat> it's going to make for some uh, very uh, interesting viewing, I think, on the part of the handicappers out there. Um, it's kind of neat. I guess Los Alamitos is picking up more dates than, than they had had in the past, and certainly I believe they're doing a little more thoroughbred racing while they're known as the ho- home of quarter horse racing. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you were right. They ha- actually have three meets this year. The one that started today for a couple of weeks, leading into Del Mar, and then they picked up the Fairplex meet in September. 
and then they're also racing in December. So, um, you know, it's kind of broken up, but, um, you know, um, the, the track is a mile now, so, and it, 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 it looks speed favoring at first today. I was watching some of the races, and then I saw a couple horses come from off the pace in the third or fourth race. So, you know, it just needs some time to work in. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Well, again, with the closing of Hollywood Park, I think they're making a good effort. I understand there's new barns there. They did extend the track, as you said. And, uh, you know, more 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 power to them. I, I, I hope that they have a, have a great meet. So, and I also hope to see you soon in the future, Tom. You know where I'm at. Get your butt up here. <laughs> I will try my best. <laughs> All right. We've been talking with uh, Tom Lamar, right. the news editor of the Blood Horse Magazine, a, a good man and someone I consider a good friend, and I already know that he's a good handicapper. So um, good luck uh, over the weekend. Again, I hope we gave you some insight. Uh, there's a lot of information out there on the, the different horses that are going to be partaking in uh, the Stars and Stripe Festival. And again, that is Saturday, not the 4th of July, the 5th of July. And uh, half a million already in the pick four. I hope that we helped you out. I want to thank Dr. James Robertson for being with us. Just a class act, and I'm sure we're going to have him back on because he is a font of knowledge. So I'm John Engelhart. It's time to close the show out overlooking the growing turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, when you go to the races, folks, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.